Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And we are from uh, Mind Robber Productions, which can be found at mindrobber.net, where we have a couple of podcasts. We've got this one where we talk about exclusively Doctor Who, and then we've got the other one, our flagship podcast called The Mind Robbers, which, while it's named after a Doctor Who episode... (laughs) We actually talk about everything that isn't Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you like our shows, though, you should review them because uh, that helps us out as long as you're reviewing them positively. If you aren't, please don't bother because that does the opposite of helping us and you're just being a jerk. <laughs> uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, any other sort of cool thing you might feel like sharing, you can email those to podcast at mindrobert.net. Or, if you want to start a discussion with us or other listeners, then you want to go to the website, mindarbor.net, leave a comment on this episode or any other episode that you feel like commenting on, and let us know what you're thinking. Matt, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? We're here to talk about more Doctor Who, and it's Christmas! It is Christmas. Woo! Happy Christmas! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When you guys are listening to this, it should be Christmas Eve, so... Excitement. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so we're talking uh, Abominable Snowmen and A Christmas Carol later. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about The Abominable Snowmen, which is a second Doctor um, story. Patrick Troughton, uh, Jamie, Victoria, Yeti. You know. Yeti. 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 Uh, warrior Monks. Warrior Monks. Yep. Tibet. Tibet. And uh, a severe lack of snow. Uh, uh, no snow. No snow whatsoever. No snow. No snow. No snow. <laughs> Which is weird. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, it's weird. Yes. Uh, so what's the, uh, what would you say is the background and significance of, uh, of the Abominable Snowmen? Well, I think the biggest one is that this is the first introduction of the Yeti um, or the Abominable Snowmen, but they're really the Yeti. Um, but more importantly, actually, they're really the great intelligence, as we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Um, but the Yeti are significant because they're the first Doctor Who monsters who weren't the Cybermen and who weren't the Daleks to reoccur um, and who have not appeared in the new uh, new Doctor Who, um, which, which is really interesting. Um, but- they haven't even appeared in color, have they? No, they have not. Yeah, um, actually, say. actually, there there is an appearance of one, like the arm of one in uh, the Five Doctors. It attacks um, the Doctor, the Second Doctor, and the Brigadier in a cave at one point. Um, but but this is really their their sole appearance. This and the Web of Fear. Um, but this, I mean, you wouldn't know it, but this is really like this the first 
of of a much the first story of a much more famous story. Um, and uh, it's written by uh, Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln. Just wanted to make sure I got those names right. Hazeman and Lincoln, who would go on to write this story's sequel, The Web of Fear and uh, The Dominators, which is rubbish. Um, uh, one of the worst Doctor Who stories I've ever seen. Uh, and it's also directed by Gerald Blake, who would eventually go on to direct uh, The Invasion of Time. Although there he was erroneously credited as General Blake. Um <laughs> Uh, the only reason I know about that is because I listened to a podcast the other day where Toby Haydock actually just randomly pulled that one out of his ass. So, uh, <laughs> so um, uh, just stuff to kind of keep in mind. It's it, we're in the middle of season five. This is the the quote unquote monster season where every story in this season features a monster of some point of some kind. Um, which is which is funny because all the monsters in this season are uh, not counting Enemy of the World, which is not a monster story. Um, the monsters are either Cybermen, Yeti. Uh, ice warriors or uh, evil seaweed. So that's your monster season, uh, hmm. and it's and it's uh, this is really the point where the store where the show basically hits formulaic base under siege, and uh, to get to a more personal opinion point, uh, the point at which I kind of lose interest in Doctor Who. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the bases under siege in general. Uh, by the time I started watching them, I was already bored with them by the time they'd started. Um, but this is an interesting sort of idea. It takes place in. Um, in Tibet, in a monastery with warrior monks versus a bunch of yeti, um, but there's more to it than that, uh, and I think it's going to have some good conversation. Not probably a lot, but some good stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Um, also, only one episode exists. So. Yes, episode two exists. The rest are all missing. Which, by the way, uh, did they do some sort of like? Uh, did they like do some sort of like remastering on that single episode? Because it looked really good. Yeah, they they remaster every episode that comes out, or they try to. Okay. Um. Uh, and I think that was on the uh, Lost in Time box set, mm. which is a collection. Uh, it's a hodgepodge of all of these missing episodes that they didn't really get to put in a main release because no one's going to buy a single episode of the Abominable Snowman. I mean, I wouldn't. Um, but they remastered all those episodes and made them look really pretty and good for the DVD. And that what you're looking at is a remaster version of that. And it's, I mean, the stuff that they do with the black and white is really, really spectacular. Mm-hmm. When they get a good remaster on it, it just looks so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we continue, this reminder that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. We can purchase our book of the month, Black Side Volume 1 by Juan Diaz Canales and Juanio Granito. It's available for only $16.49, which is 45% off. It's suggested retail price of $29.99. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So go to InStockTrades.com, buy comic book uh, trade paperbacks and hardcovers and all that good stuff. Uh, So thanks to InStockTrades.com. All right, so uh, The Abominable Snowmen, uh, I have not seen The Web of Fear. Um... So I don't know. I've heard you talk about it a lot. So I'm looking forward to getting there. Um, But uh, this one, first of all, I think we can both agree this is no business being six parts. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also think, I don't know. I feel like I I like all of the ideas uh, that are, that are, that were given here, like the warrior monks, uh, and, uh, the great intelligence or whatever. Um, yes. and, and even, even the Yeti, uh, although they're not really Yeti, they're robots. There are no yes. Yeti. Well, there's a Yeti at the end. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which um, is my favorite just like oh by the way lol like, yeah <laughs> it's a great punchline it's a great punchline um there's a uh there's a uh, uh an explorer guy who's who's really fun um and i i don't know it, it's there's a lot of stuff here but it's weird because none of them are really fleshed out despite the fact that there's a lot of running around in circles yes uh for six episodes and i feel like if you're going to have all of these things like all of these things would have been fine and like if they had just touched on all of them in a four part story i'd been like all right well that's there's a little much here but i guess that's fair you only had four episodes but they had two extra episodes that they could have really dug into all of this mythology that's in this oh yeah uh, and uh they didn't at all <laughs> um the yeti are just like i don't know i don't i wasn't i i just wanted to hug them like <laughs> they're kind of adorable Oh, I want plush Yeti so bad. Oh. Like, I would have so many of them. I would collect them. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're so adorable. And I just, I don't, I, I just, I, I, I don't, they don't do anything scary. Like, it's not, Agreed. it's not a thing where I'm like, well, the design just isn't scary. It's not up to snuff. It's like, okay, well, it's classic who. Like, you just. You gotta go with it. You gotta go with it. But the way that I, I go with it with Doctor Who uh, monsters is – or classic Who monsters specifically – is I base – I base how scared of them I should be by how scared everyone else is. But everyone <laughs> else is just like, oh, no, it's fine. Just push them over. <laughs> um, like no one really seems to be freaked out by them. Um, mm-hmm. Not really. So mm-hmm. – also, they don't really do anything. So they no, just they sort don't. of, they just sort of awkwardly walk into places and then get knocked over. Um, yeah, and menace. It's really a lot of menace more than effectiveness. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I completely agree, and I think that it's one of those things where, um, uh, yeah, it's great in theory, but like I can't tell you the number of times and uh, that I watch this, and I just get the feeling that the the yeti just burst into the monastery, and then all of a sudden. They burst in again, and I'm like, "What well, didn't we? Didn't we take care of them already? Like, yeah. did we, when did that happen? Why? Like, if they burst into the monastery, I want them to just like snap some necks or something. Ugh. Like, you know, just like rip some people in half. I know they can't do that, um, but or at least like break some necks or something. Sure, I mean, yeah, you know, just it, or choke violent. people or something. Yeah. You know, yeah, what yeah, Doctor yeah. Who monsters normally do? Yeah, yeah. Don't just don't just like you know jerk me around because that's not what I'm. Yeah paying you for yeah. um Do- dr uh, who monsters either uh shoot lasers uh or they choke people that's kind of their that's kind of their shtick oh you're gonna love the web of fear um that's all they do uh, yeah oh <laughs> well and that's the, but that's the thing is like the first time because i'd heard a lot about the yeti and the web of fear is really like one of the pinnacle Troughton stories. Um, it's one of the stories that is often cited as just one of the greats all time, um, especially from the Troughton era. I'm going to guess and, like, that it doesn't exist, right? Uh, the first episode exists, yeah, which is course. the worst. The, no, the first, because you're like, you're watching this, you're like, oh my God, this is so good. And then you get to the rest and you're like, no, <laughs> I can't believe it doesn't exist. But it's one of those stories like Powered of the Daleks or Evil of the Daleks where like, 
Yeah, it would have been wonderful if it existed and you could watch it, but, like, you almost don't need it. Just because it's, like, it's so wonderfully captivating, Mm. regardless of everything else. It's it's amazing. Um, But the first time I watched this, I was like, what's so great about the Yeti? And the answer is Web of Fear. It has nothing to do with this story. Um, This is really just, like, an introduction of them in the Web of Fear. The sequel is the one that makes them legendary. Um, Yeah. uh, but yeah, and I agree. I think it is way too long. It's one of those. It's one of those cases where, um, when Davies takes over the show with Rose, he introduces the psychic paper to just convince people really quickly that the Doctor is who he says he is. The first two episodes of this are literally just, eh, we don't believe you are who you say you are, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, and and that's so Troughton. That's like one of the Troughton hallmarks of the era is just people not believing he is who he says he is, and it's like, no, 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 I am, and it's just kind of like. Just it's just a waste of time, and every time I watch it, I'm just like, "This is so pointless to do this." Like, mm-hmm. it's just you're marking time, um, and so it's not like it's just not ideal. It's just not. Yeah. So I don't know. I uh, I think that I mean, based on episode two, I think that I would have been entertained enough uh watching this if it had all existed but the mm-hmm. fact that this was this was a, a a non-existent story and i was having to listen to it slash watch images um uh, it's uh problematic it's it yes. makes it very boring i think the direction in episode 2 is very visual yes um and 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 uh the director um uh, Gerald Blake does like a lot of really interesting things with the camera and he, he does lots of like really interesting angles and things um, that I like a lot, mm-hmm. but we don't get to see any of that in the reconstructed mm-hmm. episodes and, or at least, I mean, we get to see images, but of course the images that exist are very generic or at least they use very generic images because they're just like, Oh, the doctor's talking. So let's throw up a picture of the doctor. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily, I mean, it could be a picture from episode one, as long as it's a picture of the doctor, they don't really care. Mm-hmm. Or from a different episode. I mean, reconstructions will often steal s- source material from different stories just to make it all weave together mm-hmm. to get the right expression to do. The- right. And it's right. like, it's, it's, it's good, but it's one of those things where it's like the, the, the reconstruction, the telesnaps, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but the telesnaps that exist, exist because the BBC or the production paid this guy to, um, to to have a, a a camera and just take a picture of the television screen every thirty seconds, like which is which is which is great. I mean, it gives you some sort of visual uh, archive of the of the story, but it still means that you're missing you know twenty nine other seconds of footage per minute, mm-hmm. um, or, or per per photo um and that's fine it means you get some really cool moments like the the you get a great shot of uh victoria wrestling padma sambavar in the sixth episode but it also means that you're missing out on other bits um and Mm -hmm. and a lot of other wonderfully visual stylings that are you just can't capture right um because it doesn't exist right exactly so Um, i think that hurts the story a lot like i don't think it would be a great story uh if it all existed but I think it not existing hurts it bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas mm-hmm. other stories can rise above, uh, like you say, the the power and uh, evil and and evil uh, evil definitely does because that's the one I've seen um, mm-hmm. or slash heard. Uh, yes. And uh, you say <laughs> Web of Fear does as well. Oh yeah. So you know that's uh, that's 
that's that's I think that's my biggest problem with it is like it shouldn't be six episodes and the fact that it is and it doesn't exist it's it's rough it's a rough story to get through mm-hmm. yeah and and I agree I think totally this is this is wonderfully average Troughton which I mean is if you want to like the thing about Troughton is it just gives you something very consistent most of the time like every story is basically interchangeable the the base under siege is is a trope that they use constantly and it's always kind of the same story there's a monster attacking you have to protect from the monster um but this is definitely one of those I think it's one of the stronger efforts because mostly because of the exotic locale I mean Tibetan monks is cool. The fact that they're getting attacked by snowmen, but they're not really not snowmen. They're getting attacked by yeti, but those yeti are actually robots, and the robots are actually um, controlled by this uh, non corporeal um, internet like scenario thing is really interesting, and that that non internet that internet concept of the great intelligence is actually controlling the doctor's old friend Padma Sambavar is like an is another layer on it like it's just got a lot of really cool interesting pieces that make it really memorable more memorable even than like the ice warriors which we have talked about previously mm. um and it's just like and it's just like it just makes it hold up a little bit more in my brain because it's just so unique like it's so unique mm-hmm. um and so it's so weird. Like only Doctor Who would do a story like this. Like it's such a weird Doctor Who story. Like robot Yeti attacking Tibetan monks in the 1930s. Like it's just so. <laughs> it's such a crazy premise, but they, you know, they actually pull it off, which is remarkable. Um, and I love, I love that about this story. Um, I really, really love that about this story. Um, sure. I, I guess the Padma Samovar is the only other thing I want to mention because. Um, I think he's the biggest loss in terms of this story. I wish we could see more of him because when he he just looks so like just evil melty skeletor. <laughs> like yeah. Just really really creepy and that reveal of him at the end of I think it's episode 3 just makes me go, "Oh, I wish I could see that moment." And oh, I wish I could see him taking over Victoria. And oh, I wish I could see them fighting at the end because the end the, the last like 10 minutes of this are just non-stop action as the doctor breaks into Padma Sambhavar's den and the monks rise up against him and the yeti like it just mm-hmm. oh I wish that episode existed because mm-hmm. it would be oh it'd be so great um uh yeah definitely definitely hurt by the by the lack of um existence but a story that I liked the fine the first time but on on subsequent viewings I find I like it a little bit more each time which is always nice um mm. yeah so it, it's one of those that I kind of I don't keep coming back to it, but every time I do, I find myself pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Well, now mm-hmm. you you are no longer required to ever watch it again, though. Yeah. True. <laughs> and you know what? I might not. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I doubt I will. Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, before we move on to uh, uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about. I want to remind you that today's episode is also brought to you by DCBService.com. DCBS is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, t-shirts, collectibles. Uh, You can pre-order hardcovers and and any sort of like graphic novel collections at like 50% off. Uh, You place your orders. You you pre-order all your stuff about three months in advance. Uh, like they're right now they're taking orders for February and in a week they'll start taking orders for March. Um, 
it's so you know you 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 pre-order the stuff but uh on the plus side uh, as a result of pre-ordering you get uh special discounts of 75 percent off and uh regular discounts of 40 percent off on comic books and then collectibles range anywhere between uh 20 to 35 percent off um so it's pretty good discounts pretty good discounts for pre-ordering the stuff uh much better than you could get pretty much anywhere else uh, and you don't have to ship them out as soon as they come in you can ship as often as you like within the month that you order uh no matter how big or small uh your orders are you only pay 6.95 in flat rate shipping so you ship them you can ship your stuff weekly bi-weekly monthly whatever you want it's 6.95 no matter how big the box is uh so thanks to dcbservice.com go there and order some comics Hell yeah. Uh, so A Christmas Carol, which is our last of our, our Series 5 uh, revisit. And and uh, even though A Christmas Carol is technically like Episode 6X or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, it's technically the, the, the kind of like the Episode 0 of Season 6. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, A Christmas Carol was the first uh, – the first uh, – uh, the first Christmas special written by Stephen Moffat um, and the first one to feature Matt Smith as the doctor. Uh, and it also kind of uh, kind of uh, has Amy Pond and, and Rory Williams, um, although uh, not much. Um, <laughs> they're around. They're around. Uh, they're, they're there. Uh, just yeah, not much. Not much. Um, it was also directed by Toby Haynes, who should direct more episodes, uh, but I don't think he's going to. Um, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, but no, I, uh, I, this has always been, ever since it aired, it's been my favorite Christmas episode. Uh, that does not change. Uh, my second favorite is still the Christmas invasion. Um, cause I think other than this one, it's the most Christmassy. Of them, I suppose the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe is more Christmassy than the Christmas Invasion, but I still like Christmas Invasion more. Um, well, that's because the Christmas Invasion is better. <laughs> uh, so. But yeah, so it's uh, that's you know it's this and then the Christmas Invasion. So uh, I like my uh, I like my Doctor's first Christmas stories the best, apparently. Um, well, they, they definitely have the most energy going into them and the most to prove. Yeah. Um, uh, especially in the case of Christmas invasion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this was, uh, this is, this is great because what I like about it, um, although I will say so far I've, I've really hated all of Stephen Moffat's titles for his Christmas episodes, including this one. Um, it's just he's not trying very hard as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this isn't very – calling this a Christmas carol isn't very Doctor Who-y to me. Um, sure. Neither is the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. But then I hate it any time Doctor is in the title um, for me other than the Doctor's Wife, which is so specific that it has to be that. But like in general, I don't like the Doctor to be in the title. Um, well, I mean, I'm not even a fan of the Doctor Dances as an episode title. See, I think the yeah, episode, see, I'm yeah. not really that. E- I'm not either. Um, so he's uh, the Christmas episode's not great uh, as far as uh, as titles go um, from the Moffat era. Like, I hate the Snowmen too. It's a stupid title. 
Yeah. Uh, um, it better, it better, like that, that title better, like kick ass. You know what I mean? Like it better, relatively speaking, kick ass. Yeah. It better, there better be a reason for it other than just killer snowmen. Um, <laughs> it better have some sort of thematic thing or something. I don't know. It's, I wish it was called Attack of the Deranged Mutant Killer Monster Snow Goons, but that's just. <laughs> uh, even Attack of the Snowmen would have been better, honestly. Honestly, even Attack of the Snowmen. That sounds like a Doctor Who episode. Um, just the snowmen. Blah. Anyway. Or the fall of the snowmen. Or, or something. Whatever. Yeah, the yeah. melting of it the needs, snowmen. It um, needs a really of the. Like, if you know what? People complain a lot about the of the, but you know what? Of the is a really sexy thing if you do it right. It is. It's Pyramids true. of Mars, brain of Morbius. Like, that's so sexy. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, but anyway, but we're, yeah, we're talking about Christmas Carol. Snowmen's next week. Um <laughs> But uh, uh, I, uh, uh, despite the title, which again I hate, is a little too on the nose. Um, I love the idea of this being uh, the. It, it's basically about the Doctor remaking a Christmas Carol um, to suit his whims, which I think is fun. Uh, I think Kazrin Sardik, like the thing that I love about this, I think more than anything is while I was watching it. I got this overwhelming feeling of uh, like a comic book annual where you get this very like you get an extra long story and it's thick and it's meaty and it's just there's a lot there and you get a lot and uh, like every minute is used uh, to the to, to like. Uh, move the plot along and give characters like there's no moment in this that I feel is gratuitous, um, which I think is great. And I, uh, I just, I wish more Doctor Who stories, especially from the Moffat era, were like this because we rarely, uh, in the Moffat era, we rarely get episodes that are so character centric as this one is um for the most because for the most part it seems that Moffat is more interested in plot than he is in story um and and in characters uh like he it seems like his era is very tied into who the companion is and the companion and the doctor's relationship and he doesn't he doesn't feel like his audience cares about these characters who come in, like come into an episode have a story and leave but i feel like that's what makes doctor who so special um and i think that this is sort of a really great example of that and i feel like he should do this more and he doesn't and it makes me sad um but this is great i love this you want me to blow your mind right now sure this is my favorite thing Stephen moffat has ever written for doctor who hands down i can't i can't i can't argue with that yeah, no, this is this is hands down, easily, far and away, country mile, my favorite thing Stephen Moffat has ever written for Doctor Who. Yeah. And I liked it the first time. I really, really, really liked it the first time. Um, and I remember talking to my friend about it at work the day after, um, or whenever I saw it afterwards and talked to him. And he was, and I was just like, oh, it's so good. He was like, was it? And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, and I was like, 
And I listed a whole, and I was like, and he was like, well, what are the other Moffat stories that are better? And I actually firmly placed this in the middle at the time. But going back and rewatching series five, going back and rewatching the other Moffat stories, and then going back and rewatching this, this is everything that I could possibly want from a Moffat story while also seeing Moffat do something terribly interesting that speaks to my sensibilities. And God damn it, if I, every time I watch this, I'm just like, I'm not going to cry this time. Whoops. Um, <laughs> Cause I mean, the end of this is so beautiful. Like it is impossibly good. How amazing it is to watch Kazrin Sardik like melt away when, um, what's her name steps out of the steps out of the refrigerator. Um, and like when she says to him, "You're so you're so much older than I remember you," or Abigail, her name is. Um, when Abigail says to him, "You're so much older," and he's like, "I don't know, I I am, but I didn't know when to wake you." And she says, "I think you waited too long." It's so heartbreaking. Like it's so heartbreaking. And then when she sings to him, it's beautiful. That is still my favorite piece of music I think ever on Doctor Who. Um, and when she says, um, when you're around, uh, silence is all around or whatever that line is like when she touches his face, it's just so beautiful. And it makes me realize that Moffat is really good at this. Like he really nails the point home. It's a very, it's a very focused script. Um, much in the way that you're saying, there's not a lot of meat on it. It's very, very, very focused. The unsung hero of this, as far as I'm concerned, is Toby Haynes. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is, looking back at the other work that Toby Haynes has done, Toby Haynes has done four other Doctor Who stories. Uh, Pandora opens The Big Bang, uh, Impossible Astronaut, and Day of the Moon. All four of those have beautiful character moments um, in ways that are missing from other Moffat stories um, and it's not that the other Moffat stories don't necessarily have those moments 11th hour has them beast below has them uh, even the wedding river song tries for them the thing that to- that I love about Toby Haynes is Toby Haynes finds the poetry in Moffat's work the thing that I think Moffat's trying to say with these characters but in some way just kind of loses it amidst the plot and really just finds an angle to 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 get the character to get the actors to hit those beats and moments in the way that is the most dramatically emotionally impactful. It's him who directs Alex Kingston to the line and a last time. It's him who also mm-hmm. directs Alex Kingston to the line. Um, uh, what was, what was the phrase? Um, uh, we're moving in reverse. And every time I see him, I know him less uh, or he knows me less. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, and, and, and even, even not even just Alex Kingston, like hit the moment where, uh, the doctor asks Rory when they're about to go back for Amy and Day of the Moon. He says, do you uh, remember being an Auton, being a Roman? And Rory says, no. And then he says, of course I do. All of those moments are pulled from Toby Haynes's work. And like looking at the rest of the Moffat era, like, I mean, I've said for a while that the Moffat era is lacking in consistency in terms of directors. Um, Nick Hearn's really good. Um, Saul Metzenstein has been pretty good, but no one got it like Toby Haynes does. This is visually spectacular. Mm -hmm. It is character wise off the charts and it is directed with such poetry and such beauty that I cannot help but be moved Every time I watch this at every point in the story, mm-hmm. um, it's great. Yeah. It is, one, it is so great. And I wonder if it doesn't have a lot to do with uh, this. Because I, I, I feel like I get a sem- similar sense of, of energy from A Christmas Carol as I 
do with 11th Hour in that it almost feels like it's a story that Stephen Moffat had in his back pocket for a long time because it was a Christmas story. He knew he couldn't tell it until he was running the show. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like maybe he thought of it a long time ago, just the idea of the doctor finding his very own Scrooge and becoming uh, or, or, you know, remaking a Christmas Carol uh, to save him through time travel and whatnot. And uh, just that that idea alone, and then I, I and then you know using that to his advantage or whatever, and I and I think that both that and the eleventh hour are things that he had in his back pocket for when he was going to take over Doctor Who, uh, or if I should say, but uh, and I think that that's. I think that makes it so that this is this was like really well thought out and you could tell that it was just bursting out of him. Whereas just a year later, you look at the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe and it really seems half-assed and uh, just half-assed all around. (laughs) Nowhere near as polished as this is. No, not at all. And I wonder if that has a lot to do with the fact that Stephen Moffat is writing too many episodes in a season. Because, like, Mm -hmm. not every writer can can write like Russell T. Davies can. I mean, that's just not... That's not in everybody's wheelhouse. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if maybe we should be getting less Stephen Moffat episodes in a season and if that would improve his show... Uh, anymore? Uh, yeah, because because I, I, I feel like he just needs to take longer with his scripts, uh, and and mm-hmm. I think that that's a big reason why we're getting less Doctor Who lately. I don't think it has. I, I think it has less to do with the budget than than we are made to believe. I wonder if it has more to do with Stephen Moffat lacking inspiration, but not wanting to let go of the show. Sure, I th- I think you're I think you're probably absolutely right about this, and I think that it's one of those things where. Um, you're right, it is a Christmas story, but I think that you can tell that he took a lot of time to work this out. Yes. It's not a, it's it's not simple. Um it's not slapped together like Doctor Widow was. Like Doctor Widow is just so dull. Like it's so you feel it that it's slapped together. You feel that there's not a lot of thought put into it, that it is it, it is just like, and then what if giant robots happen? Because remember, there was a giant robot in Doctor Widow for no reason. Um <laughs> Whereas this, like, everything is so specific. I mean, even even the Christmas shark, like, it's so insane. And I'm not convinced that it works as well this time as it did the first time. But it still is something that comes back and plays around constantly. It is brought back over and over again to different effects. Like, it, at the beginning, it is the thing that Kazran Sardek fears as a kid. Later, it is the thing that brings him and Abigail together. It is the thing that they do one Christmas. It is the thing that allows Amy and Rory to survive the, the crash at the end. It is the one thing that Abigail and Kazran, the last thing they do together, is fly off into the sunset on a, on a, on a space shark. Um mm-hmm. And I love, I love that about this. And it's not even just that element. It's also like, how brilliant is it to turn the Doctor into the Ghost of Christmas Past? That's that's amazing. But then he also has the most insane use of Ghost of Christmas Present, and then the most gobsmacking Ghost of Christmas oh, yeah. Future, which I had forgotten. No, I'd no, forgotten the Ghost, yeah, the Ghost of Christmas Future, because that was the thing. I was, I remembered, I was like, okay, well, goes to Christmas present. I mean, or, or, or of past, like, of course, the doctor, that's great. And then I was like, and then Amy and, and the other people on the ship were present because they were holograms. 
I was like, so that's really, I was like, what was, what was future? And the thing that, that is great about the Ghost of Christmas future is that it's, the thing that makes it so special, I think, is that it really, like, past is really carried out, and then present's happening, and you're like, oh, I wonder how long before you get to future, and future is immediately after present yeah. so it's it it feels like it comes out of nowhere and it's perfect mm-hmm. and it's also a great sort of like twist on the um dickensian aspect of christmas carol because everyone knows the stereotype of christmas carol christmas past is this young beautiful woman christmas present is this haggard like character christmas future is the grim reaper whereas what Moffat does here is he says the doctor's Christmas past, which makes sense. And like you said, Amy and the the passengers are ghosts of Christmas present, which is which is really, really like really haunting. Mm-hmm. The way that Haynes shoots Amy is something that's always stuck out to me. The lighting that he uses on her is perfect. It's so eerie and, and creepy. And then to turn Kazran himself into the ghost of Christmas future for himself is so like oh, why didn't I see that? You know, yeah. like you're just like, oh God, that's so brilliant yeah. because it's not, because you just don't expect the return of young Kazran. Like it's it, so. It's a thing where I would be, I like, it's a thing where if Charles Dickens himself could see it, he'd probably think, oh, why didn't I think of that? I used a lame Grim Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much more poetic. <laughs> <laughs> So true. So true. Yeah. I have time travel. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Yeah. And that's and those ghost things, I think, more than anything, are the thing that make this perfect Doctor Who in the way that I love Doctor Who to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back at, you know, our fa- one of our favorite eras of the, of, the, of, the, of the classic series, the Hinchcliffe Holmes era is constantly adapting, readapting old stories. Brain of Morbius is just Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, Deadly Assassin is a ripoff of the Manchurian Candidate and then does some new stuff. Towns of Wang Chiang is Fu Manchu. Caves of Androzani is a little bit of Phantom of the Opera. Um, what this does is this actually puts itself right on that level and it takes a story that we know the Christmas Carol and then does something that is purely unique to Doctor Who that only Doctor Who can do and does a Doctor Who definitive version of a very classic story in a very new way and that is something that I love to see um, and it's not that I always want Doctor Who to adapt something but when Doctor Who ad- ad- like just does an adaptation this is your gold standard. And like, this is like, as far as I'm concerned, this is the gold standard of Doctor Who adaptations of classic works. Um, nothing is better than this. Um, it's so, so good. And God, do I cry all the time when I'm watching this. Like, I, just, <laughs> I can't handle it. And that's the thing that I also love is that when, when you look at what Moffat's doing here, and, and this is really the idea of creating new memories, um, the way the, – the photo box, when Kazran pulled out the photo box, I just started crying. And when he's flipping through the old memories, like in the happiness that he felt, I'm so there with him. Um, and that's like a Gambin thing. I think Gambin is such a wonderfully – I mean, he's a great – he's a phenomenal actor. Um, Harry Potter was not – necessarily his fault um i just didn't like his no my problem with harry potter is i didn't like his interpretation of the character um and that came because he didn't read the books um 
he is so good at conveying the pathos of what he's doing. Watching him turn around and see the portrait of Abigail and that smile of joy, the jubilation of rediscovering who he was as a child is such a wonderful metaphor made uh, reality that Doctor Who does so well, that I love stories doing so well, um, that it just, oh, it's so it's so thematically resonant to me. Um, just rediscovering who you were as a child, like, it's so, so beautiful, and watching him go through the love, the loss, the happiness, the heartbreak, and seeing them open the doors again and again, and how happy Abigail is, and how happy Kazran is, and Oh, it's so affecting. Like, it's so affecting every time. Mm-hmm. I just can't get enough of it and the emotional gravitas of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a brilliant uh, episode. It really is. So It's so good. It's so good. And if, it's also if, like, if Stephen Moffat, like, if he needed more time to do things and this was the sort of stuff we got, whatever. <laughs> I, I would never complain. No. I would never complain. And it was one of those things where it's just like, throw throw stories to other people because it's, I mean, it's technically less work to rewrite than it is to actually develop your own idea. Mm -hmm. Um, if uh, like, if someone came up to like, it's much easier if someone has already laid out a basic skeleton structure structure for Moffat to kind of graft something else onto that. That's much easier to do. Um, and if Moffat wanted to cut back and just do openers and an episode in the middle and the finale, and a Christmas special, like, cause that's two less than he's doing I don't even think he needs to do the Christmas specials. Oh, fair enough. Let sure. let give give the give next year's Christmas special to Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Could you imagine a Neil Gaiman Christmas special? I would love that. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, you you know you know what you're right, and it's like just because because really after Christmas Carol, what does he have to say about Christmas? There's mm-hmm. nothing else he has to say about it. It's the perfect Christmas story. It's the it's so perfect. Yeah. Um, no, it is. Yeah, and, 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 like, after Dr. Widow, like, it's just, like, he's doing it because he has to. Well, and the um, problem is that he keeps trying to find something new to say about Christmas. No. Like, uh, that's the thing that Russell T. Davies figured out. He had one thing to say about Christmas. He said it in Christmas Invasion. Then the subsequent Christmas episodes were just using Christmas as a setting, and that's it. The story mm-hmm. itself had nothing to do with Christmas, and they were fine. Like, you yeah. said what you had to say about Christmas with the Christmas Carol. You don't have to keep bringing – you just use Christmas as a setting. You don't have to keep saying something new about Christmas. Mm-hmm. Just just mm-hmm. let it go. Like, it could just be at Christmas. And I, I have a weird feeling that that's what he's doing this time, um, mm-hmm. which makes me look forward to the snowmen. Because uh, from sure. everything that I can tell, it doesn't look like it's about Christmas, which is good. It- yeah, and and that's fine if they want to just use Christmas as like an aesthetic and a setting. That's perfect. Yes. Um that that cuz that's like sometimes it's just enough that something is set at Christmas. Yes. Um like Die Hard has nothing to do with Christmas, right. really. Right. It's just set there and the the tone and aesthetic of that is all also I mean it's in Los Angeles for mm-hmm. God's sake. Um mm-hmm. Well, and the next <laughs> doctor is another great example where like the next yes. doctor is, is technically set at Christmas and it's very Christmassy because it's got that 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 Dickensy thing uh, about it, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with Christmas. But it's still good, and it still mm-hmm. feels good to watch at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And it's got like I mean, it's got this theme of family and and togetherness, right. but like it's not shoved down your throat. It's not like we're together for Christmas. Like this is a this is very specifically you know a Scrooge story. It's about how one guy needs to learn that you know life is not 
awful that there is joy to be had um and that's i mean that's a very christmasy idea but it's not something that like you don't need to you don't need to crowbar down my throat that um christmas is special and believe in this woman like i don't need i don't need that from dr widow wardrobe at all um it's just not what you need but this is this is everything i need and it's also like i love the aesthetic of the story the steampunk of it is amazing like so good oh yeah like Oh, it's so gore it's so gorgeous the opening shot of of the of the city so that it looks like atlantis the design work on the clocks and the streets and the Ugh. and the and this is this is the perfect amalgam of of science fiction and dickensian look like just oh sure. god it's gorgeous yeah mhm and i think that that's like that's also why this is perfectly one of the most emblematic Moffat stories because it feels it feels like a fairy tale it feels like a far off fantasy land and mm-hmm. all of time and space where do you want to go first like here I want to go here <laughs> you know I don't want to go anywhere else let me just hang out in this cool place mm-hmm. um, and obviously um, Moffat has a thing for the Dickensian look uh, for Christmas like it, it mm-hmm. obviously he has a thing for it because I mean we're going back to that well with the snowmen um, mm-hmm. in a big bad way, uh, yeah. So obviously he's got a thing for it, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can pull out with the snowman. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I, you know, I hate to get my hopes up, but I'm kind of getting my hopes up. Yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I'm very, very optimistic yeah. about it. Um, and I'm looking, I'm very much looking forward to it. And like, and that's the thing is like. Moffat also understands that the doctor as an idea is like an, it's like an HG Wellsian character and Wells was born out of like the Victorian adventure models. So the doctor himself fits so well into Victorian times. Like that's why Talon's like, you look at it and it just feels right. Mm -hmm. Besides just the fact that it, that it looks, you know, it looks Holmesian. Um, it also home Hitchcliffe Holmesian specifically. Um, (laughs) sorry. But also Sherlock Holmesian. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that too. Um, <laughs> I was talking about Robert Holmes. Um, <laughs> sorry, Robert Holmes has become the the Holmes as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I don't know. I think I'm probably the only person on the planet who said that. Who says that? But um, that's that's kind of the truth. Sherlock Holmes has taken a backseat to Robert Holmes as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um yeah. but, but like that's and that's the reason that I think that the Doctor fits there so well because he has such of a such a hodgepodge aspect but also Victorian sensibilities and high adventure and all that sort of thing like he fits so well into the steampunk um that I just I, I love it and I love I I cannot tell you how much I love this story I cannot tell you it's um, wonderful yeah it's so this is this has got to be if this is my favorite Moffat story and this is my favorite story of this era like this is right behind the doctor's wife which is really saying something like oh yeah Oh God, it's so so beautiful. It is. Oh my God, it is. It really is. I want to watch it again. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, we're done here, so you can do that if you want. Uh, uh, no thanks. I have other things to do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's our episode this week, uh, and that's the end of our of our revisits. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed that bonus content because we're going back to uh regularly scheduled content starting next week with a christmas carol um and then what the or hell sorry are you talking sorry about i now? just read i i'm reading the script sorry and i read a christmas carol <laughs> instead of next week with the snowmen 
Um, sorry. That's what I get for reading and not thinking. It happens. Yeah. Next time, think a little bit. Think. No, I'm good. Thanks anyway. Uh, so a Christmas Carol, like I said. Uh, no, the snowman. Um, yeah. So hopefully that's good. That'll be out in just a couple of days after this one. Uh, yeah. and, uh, then after that, we're going to take a few weeks off and come back with the ambassadors of death. Hell yeah, we are. Yep. And then shortly after that, the Lazarus experiment, which is a, uh, episode from the third season with, with David Tennant. And, uh, then the Romans, which is a first doctor story. And then the return of the fifth doctor, uh, with the classic time flight. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Time flight and then the leisure hive. Talk about a double whammy of just me not wanting to be here. <laughs> and then Shakespeare code and then Celestial Toymaker. I was, uh, you heard Shakespeare, you said Shakespeare code. I pricked up, you said Celestial Toymaker and I wanted to die. Yeah. 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 Good times. All right. That's it. <laughs> That's it. In the meantime, uh, if you need to find us, if you're not celebrating Christmas uh, and you need to find us, between this episode and a Christmas Carol. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Scott Corelli. Uh, also Scott commentary where I might live tweet things from time to time. Uh, and then the mind robbers, which is our other podcast where we talk about all the other things. Uh, Matt, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash gun get in. Also my alter Twitter account, twitter.com slash GD commentary. You can also, uh, for a very short time, find me at my blog, classicalgallifrey.blogspot.com, where I blog about Classic Who. Um, uh, I'm just going to pimp it, because why not? I'm almost out. Uh, I wrote about the Caves of Androzani. So if you ever wanted to know just about every single thought I've ever had about that story, <laughs> uh, you can read that, because that ended up being about 15,000 words, um, which was about 31 pages in Word. Um so it was a lot. Uh, it took a, quite a long time, but I think it's honest to God, the best entry I've ever written. Um, I loved reading it. I love, I loved writing it. I loved editing it. I loved watching it. Uh, and no doctor who story in the entire world is better than that story. Um, the, the bar is set impossibly high and it's still the best for my money. Uh, check that out. Also power of the Daleks, which should be out shortly. Uh, I'm not making my deadline of Christmas because there's just no way. Um, but I'll have it out. I'll have the out and done by the end of the year and power of the Daleks. The second doctor's, uh, post first ever story, uh, is my last story on that blog. So I'm almost done. I'm literally, this is it. This is it. That's crazy. Woo. That's crazy. Crazy sauce. I never thought I'd. It's weird. I was um, just the other day. I was actually going through um, and and actually just this morning I was editing certain entries just to um, just to go back and uh, make it look a little bit cleaner because there was a functionality that I never added. And I was like, I'm bored and watching something. Um, So I just kind of added some functionality to it. And I was it basically meant that I had to go back and look through everything. And I was like, wow, this is a big part of my life (laughs) for three years wow it was it was uh it was a real religious experience um, and pretty soon uh when we come back with ambassadors of death you death you'll be able to um you'll be able to uh uh pimp the blog as a whole yeah you won't have to yeah. you don't have to talk about ex- uh, specific entries anymore you should be like oh yeah i did this blog it's done but you can go there yeah it's, <laughs> check it out check it out check oh it out. that's pretty awesome yeah 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 
All right, well, uh, that's it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a few days with uh, the snowman. Bye. Bye.